then we'll kind of begin to uh, talk about them and get a little deeper into them. So uh, turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Luke chapter 24, verse 47, and Luke 22, 54 through 62. Those are our scriptures that we will kind of look at tonight and begin to talk about. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Luke 24, verse, 7, verse 47, and Luke again, 22, 54 through 62. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the Bible says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent. Somebody say repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, the word of the Lord says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Hmm. Luke chapter 22, we'll jump all the way down to verse 54, and the word of the Lord says, Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's home. And Peter followed afar off, and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and were sat down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man also, this man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know not, I know him not. Verse fifty eight. And after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And, and Peter said, Man, I am not. Verse 59. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Verse 60. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked up on Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Verse 62 and final verse, And Peter went out and wept bitterly. We will continue our study in the Discipleship Project uh the lesson that we're on is the imitation of Christ, the imitation of Christ. And so we've been talking about imitating Christ, the imitation of Christ. And tonight specifically what we're going to talk about is his message, our message. If we're going to imitate everything about him, then whatever his message was, it needs to be our message as well because we're supposedly imitating Christ. Amen? 
We're supposed to be imitating Christ. The Bible says we are followers of Christ. And so if we are going to be his disciples, we're going to be followers of him. And that word follow means to imitate him. So whatever Christ did, we need to do. Whatever Christ said, we need to say because we're imitating him. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so that's our goal. That's our objective. Uh, It's important to understand that um, imitating Christ is 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 what you want to focus on um while we have different people in our lives that are great people and uh they're good Christians and they love God uh they're not perfect and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to they're they're fallible and they're going to uh they're going to sin and things will go wrong in their life and so a lot of times when you admire someone and 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 it's someone that you kind of put high on a pedestal when they make mistakes it 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 tend to kind of dampen your spirit. It tend to make you feel like, wow, you know, if that happened to them, what will happen to me? And so Christ don't want us to operate like that. His desire is for us to to imitate him because he is the one that we will never be disappointed him. He's the one that will never let us down because he can't let us down. And so when we imitate Christ, when we follow after him, it is very good and healthy for us. Somebody say healthy. It's healthy for your spiritual life when you follow Christ. Uh, it's good to admire people when they're, you know, great men of God and great women of God. But you don't follow men. You don't follow women. You follow Christ. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So as he taught people about the word of God, he says, the only way you're supposed to follow me is as I am following Christ. If you see me start to go in a different way from Christ, then you don't need to follow me anymore. And I'm saying the same thing like Paul. If I teach you anything differently from the word of God, if I if I start to stray away from the word of God, then you don't need to listen to me anymore. Because we need to follow Christ, not man, not woman, not people. We are supposed to follow Christ. After verbally assailing Jesus, the makeshift jury began to spit on Jesus and strike him with the palm of their hands. Peter, mere presence near a volatile situation showed a deep passion and concern for his Savior. So, they arrested Jesus Christ. They're taking him now to try him and to eventually crucify him. And Peter started following him. When they grabbed a hold of Jesus, when Judas led them to Jesus, Peter followed afar off and was watching. So he was not close by, but he followed afar off because of his passion and his concern for Christ. So he, he was passionate about his relationship with Christ and he was always, you know, concerned about it and wanting to make sure, you know, if he claimed that he loved Christ, if he claimed that he had a relationship with him and he was in danger, he was supposed to be a part of what's going on. So he followed afar off. It was Peter who boldly declared Jesus' true identity by saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. However, when he was faced with this critical crisis, Peter, when he was faced with this critical crisis, he proved to be a coward or a lack of faith by not revealing his own identity and disowning the Son of God. Now, can I tell you this? Peter is a man just like me and, and human just like all of us. 
And he was really gung-ho about following Christ. But in his, you know, endeavor to follow Christ, he failed. And where he failed was he denied Christ. They asked him, are you with this man, the man that they were going to crucify? He says, no, I don't even know the man. So he disowned Christ and said, I didn't know the man, right? And on top of that, uh, I mean, he was lying, disowning, you know, you know, Christ when Christ was really who gave him his identity and, and, and he disowned Christ. And so they asked him about, you know, was he with Christ? And he says, no. And so what I want to point out to us is we need to learn from Peter. When you're under pressure, when you're under strain, and you're supposed to be a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian. Ask yourself, what kind of decision will you make when you're under pressure? Peter made a bad decision when he was under pressure, and we need to learn from him. So when you get into a situation that feels critical, crucial, eh, challenging, and, and probably even dangerous, when you're in that kind of situation, and it's 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 it's... You're, you're challenged to say, are you going to stand up and say, well, I'm a Christian. Are you going to stand up and, and, and behave and act like the word of God said a Christian should act? Or will you begin to just, yeah, let me just kind of just move away from this so they don't know who I am. What will we do? And there are times where we're supposed to stand up and be what we say we are or be what we're supposed to be. And we don't do that. We kind of you know, fade away a little bit or we, we, we become, I don't know, you know, we, we just want to fit in. And that's not God's way for our life. God's way for our life is if we say we are his children, his, his disciples, his followers, nothing should ever make us deny him. Remember, we read not too long ago, what shall separate us from the love of God? And so if we love him, whatever is going on, the challenges, the, 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 the dangers that we face, we should never allow those things to make us behave differently from who we're supposed to be in Christ. Peter failed the one who had changed his life and identity from an impulsive, cursing fisherman to a disciple of Christ. So before Peter met Christ, he was an impulsive, cursing fisherman. So what he was, what they said, all fishermen curse a lot. That's what I heard. And so Peter was one of those that just cursed nonstop and he was very impulsive. But when he met Jesus and he started following Jesus, his life started changing. He started becoming a different guy. He started learning righteousness and holiness and started learning the things of God. And so his identity changed. When you follow Christ and you become a disciple of Christ, your identity change. Can I tell you this? Remember this. People always say you know people by who they associate themselves with. That's always been. And you know, you tell your kids, don't run with that person because what? Their reputation says that there's something else. And so if you see someone with certain people, you're going to see. So if you work for the paramedics, guess what? And and they all have the uniform on. You're going to be labeled as you're a paramedics. If you are a firefighter and you are with them, you're a firefighter. So whoever you're with, that's going to depend on your identity. That's going to tell your identity, I should say. And so if we are with Christ, then we identify as one of his. And so we have to make sure we understand our identity comes from our association 
Whatever we're associating with, that's what's going to produce our identity. So you can't say, uh, you know, I'm of Christ, but you're not associated with the things of Christ. You know, like we like to say, well, uh, I'm a Christian, but who says I got to go to church? Well, how are we going to tell that you're a Christian? What, you're just being in your home and just, you know, watching TV and reading and praying, but we're supposed to believe you're a Christian. Well, we can't tell the truth about that. You don't have an identity yet. Your identity is when you are with the body of believers and when you worship with the body of believers, it cre- that's your identity. So when we are following Christ, we are identifying with Christ. And so Peter's identity was changed from a fisherman that cursed a lot to a disciple of Christ. What a change. Undoubtedly, the words of Jesus echoed in the ears of Peter. He may have thought back to the moment when Jesus said unto him, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. After denying Jesus such at such a pivotal moment, how could Peter... Find his way back to his calling and his destiny. So let me bring it to this place. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to, at some point uh, in our behavior, deny Christ. Yes. We might not have said the words like Peter. I don't know that man. But in your action, in your behavior, you've denied him in some way, shape, or form. But understand this, that... There's an opportunity to get restored back from your denial in your behavior or what you had said about Christ. That's what I love about God. We might have cutoff points, but God don't have no cutoff points. We have, this is the last time I'm going to allow you to do this to me ever again. If you do this again, I'm done. We love that word. I'm done. Yes, this, you know, you've done this too many times. And Jesus already cleared that up and says, Peter asked him, this same Peter, how many times should I forgive my brother for sinning against me? He said, 70 times seven. And that's just one thing. And none of us ever had to give any, forgive anybody. What is it? Three times, four times, five times, ten times. And we like, I can't, I'm drawing the line. That's it for me. That's not Christ-like. That's you-like. And you got to get you out of the equation here. You got to get you out of there. Jesus will always make a way for us to be restored. Understand this. When Jesus called you, he called you and he gave you a destiny. And your destiny can only be fulfilled when you continue to be identified in him and follow your purpose and destiny in him. If you stop doing that, then you cut your destiny off. We all have a destiny in Christ. But if we don't follow Christ, we will not meet or reach that destiny. After the death, burial, and triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ, something significant happened. The plan of redemption for all humanity became personalized. The fractured identity of Peter would find restoration and empowerment To preach the message on the day of Pentecost that would launch the New Testament church. So we read Peter denying Jesus, but then later on we read Peter 
was the first preacher to preach the New Testament message in the New Testament church. How do we equate that? Where we're reading and we see Peter deny Jesus three times. And then later on, later on, we're reading and we see Peter is the one that preached the first message in the New Testament church. How do we measure that? How do we equate that? How does that work? That works because God is a forgiven God. That works because God is a God of restoration. That works because God is a God of grace. And so when Peter made the mistake and denied Christ, Christ did not give up on Peter. He says, it's okay. I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get back on track. Because God don't look at what we're going through right now. God knows all of our potential. And we got to get to the place where we understand we have potential in Christ. And the only thing that we have to do is just keep on going. And we will see, God will see to it that that potential is fulfilled. We're giving up on God in so many aspects of our life by just saying this is as far as I'm going to go. And God has so much more in store for us. Our potential in God is limitless. And we just have to trust God. Peter went from being a backslidden disciple of Christ, denying Christ, to being the preacher of the gospel of the New Testament church. What a transition. What a transition from going to saying... I don't know the man to preaching the very gospel about the man. Oh, my God. This is why we are so unfair to each other when we try to give each other a hard time and shut each other down. Like what I've done is like almost unforgiven. We, we, we don't say it, but we carry ourselves like that sometimes. We make it seem like, you know, whatever... Uh, Sin we commit, whatever we've done wrong, it's like, oh, it's so, it's unforgivable. And here, Peter denied Christ, and he was preaching the first message to the New Testament church. It's not because of Peter's goodness. It's not because Peter was just this great guy, and God said, oh, you're such a great guy. Let me just make sure I give you another chance. No, God is just that loving towards all of us, and all of us that make the same mistake or different mistake, God will see to it. If we will just give our heart back to him, God will see to it that we're okay and restored and continue in our destiny. We gotta, we gotta know that. We'll get to this in a second. Why is failure so hard for us to fight through? Anybody want to answer that question? Why is failure so hard for us to fight through? When we fail, uh, I'm gonna be probably all over the place tonight, especially in some of the things. Yes, sir. Pride is one of the things. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, embarrassment. Did you ever think about this? For those of you that are Bible scholars. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran away from God. When David's sin was revealed to him, he ran to God. Big difference. Big difference. I wonder... Now that I'm just thinking out loud with you, this is just me thinking out loud right with you. I wonder if Adam and Eve would have done what David did, would they still stay in the garden? Just remember when they sinned, they were 
God removed them from out of the garden and they could not come back in the garden. But remember, when they sinned and God asked them, what did you do? They started making excuses. But when but but when um, Nathan came to David and says, you are the man, David just went down on his face and started crying out for forgiveness right there, right then. He didn't wait for any time. I wonder if they would have still been in the garden, if they would have just confessed and repented right at that moment that they messed up with God and said, you know what? All right, we'll do something different. I don't know. But the point is, the point is. Please understand this. When you mess up, please don't stay away from God. When you're struggling, please don't stay away from God. When things are tight in your life, please don't run to God. Don't worry about what people want. How You know, sometimes people look at us and we think that they're thinking something evil. That's Satan telling you that. Don't you ever make the devil tell you that people are thinking something negative about you. You take the the high road and think everybody think good of you and be surprised if they come out and tell you they think bad of you. So so when you walk in, so for instance, I got to give you the for instance so you don't. So let's say, for instance, you have done something that you know is against God and a couple of people might have seen. It's easy now for you to say, I'm not going to church. You know, this is going on and people know about it. It's easy to say that. But remember what I said, David ran and bow down before God and repented. Adam and Eve made excuses. So when you find out that, oh, I messed up here, please run to church. And if don't worry about who is looking at you because, you know, the devil wants you to think when you mess up that people are looking at you and they know about you and they're talking about you. Can I let you in a little secret? Just think about this. If you messed up, and people know about it and they're talking about you. They're in a worse off situation than you if you come into God and you go to God and begin to cry out to him like Peter did. Because what they're doing, they're gossiping and condemning you. That's what they're doing. So if they're sitting in the church, hmm, I haven't seen her in a long time. I wonder what she's doing here. Yeah, I heard she did this and she did that. And so you're feeling the devil is telling you that's what they're saying about you. I want you to just say, devil. They're not saying that about me. I messed up and I am running to God and I'm going to ask God for forgiveness and it doesn't matter to me. We have the we have the teaching. Adam and Eve ran away because the devil tried to make you feel condemned. God make you feel convicted. Right. We've been talking about that. We've talked about that in Sunday school. The devil makes you feel condemned. When you get condemned, you isolate yourself. Condemnation make you isolate because condemnation make you feel like you are hopeless. Condemnation make you feel like there is no hope for you and things are just not going to work out for you. So you know when you feel like that, you know what you do? You stay away from everybody. You isolate yourself. And the way how the devil destroys people is first isolate them. When he isolates them, then he work on them. Then he starts putting more things in their mind and make them feel like there's no hope. Don't even try it. You might as well just live the way you want. That's what the devil does to us. And we have to be sharp and know these things and say, I can't allow myself to be isolated. You're better off coming to church and letting some of the folks uh, talk about you, but so many others are praying for you. Whether we want to like it or not, 
the more you show your face, the more apt people will pray for you. So, just think about this. If I come to church all the time, sooner or later, the Lord will put my mind, put some, put my name in somebody's mind to pray for me. You know, this is what the Lord will make me think. You know, I saw sister so-and-so in church and she didn't seem, her face didn't seem right. I need to pray for her. But if you stay away, people usually can only focus on what's right before them. It's just the way we are. And, and yes, sometimes when, you know, God wants to do something, he will, he can put somebody's name in your mind that you weren't even thinking about. But I'm telling you from just a practical, uh, standpoint of us coming together, the more we come together, the more apt we will pray for each other because we will be picturing each other's face as we pray. In the morning when you decide to pray before you go out, you're praying and all of a sudden people's faces will come to your mind like, yeah, let me pray for Pascal. And you start praying because you're seeing in her. You know, you see people, you pray for them. When you don't see them, you struggle. And so you'll just pray for your family. <laughs> you don't see them, you're just going to pray for your children. Pray for your, you know, your spouse and pray, you know, for all your relatives because that's, that's who you're just going to pray. But if you start to see faces, if when you come in, you can sense, you know, when people probably just are struggling and having a hard time, you can sense that. And so you, when you sense it, you just will remember to pray when you pray. It's very important. And so we got to realize God don't give up on us and we should not give up on each other. Yes. So failure, uh, you know, it, it's hard because of pride and, and it's hard because um, what Brother Henry said, um, what well you said, because they feel embarrassed, you know, and, and usually embarrassment and condemnation probably run together, you know. Uh, but I'm, I'm telling you tonight don't allow condemnation and embarrassment to prevent you from running to God. The devil put condemnation on you. God convicts you. And conviction means God makes you aware that what you've done is wrong. But if you will come to him, he will make it right for you. That, that's what God does. I want to please God. I'm not worried about people. How about you? I want to please God. I have learned to get to a place where the most important thing to me is to please God. And if I'm pleasing him, but I'm not pleasing everybody, I can deal with that. I'll deal with that. But if I'm not pleasing God, I'm, I'm just uncomfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm not good. When the news of the empty tomb reached the disciples, Peter passionately pursued his master. He did not hide or seclude himself in his own shame. He didn't do it. Although struggling with betrayal of his identity, Peter ran to Jesus. So Peter did what uh, David did. Run to Jesus when you mess up. Stop running away from Jesus. I don't know where we got this from, that when things are going bad and we're upset, we're hurt and things go wrong or we did something bad, we stay away from church. That's the wrong time to stay away. There's never a good time to stay away, but that's the really the wrong time to stay away. When we mess up, we got to run to the Lord. And, and, and I like for, you know, multiple people praying for me. Because sometimes you messed up so bad that you're so emotional, you can't even get your prayers right. <laughs> you try to pray and you're emotional. And you can't get it out. But you know what? If you go to church and maybe the pastor or maybe one of your good sisters or one of the good brothers, they will just begin to pray for you. They can get it out. 
Right? They're praying for you earnestly because they can get it out. They're praying, God, touch my sister. God, touch my brother. They're praying earnestly for you. So it's just so important to run to God when we mess up. Don't run away from God. The same man who weeks earlier rejected any association with Jesus Christ was now ready to embrace redemption. We need to embrace redemption. God is the God of redemption and we need to embrace it. People want to make God out to be this great God that wants to bring down fire upon everybody that did wrong. They're so wrong about my God. He's a loving God and he's a God that will bring restoration. He wants to embrace us from our wrong and get us to go right and we have to understand understand that and not run away from him. We don't want to run away from him. We got to embrace his redemption. Understand that. Remember we always talk about the prodigal son? The prodigal son gives you such a clear, clear vision on how God sees us when we mess up. Remember I told you the prodigal son's dad. The Bible says when the prodigal son decided to finally come home, The Bible says the dad saw him afar off coming. And my question to you is how the dad saw him afar off coming on that random day. It means the dad was always looking for him. And so the point is, when we do wrong, Jesus is just waiting, waiting for us to come running to him so he can deliver us from our sins. So he can get things right in our life. So he's waiting to do that. We make it seem like he's just like, get away from me. That's us. Kids mess up and we say, get, get out of my face. You, 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 you knew better. Jesus know we know better and he still don't tell us to get out of his face. He's waiting for us to come. His identity with Christ was restored. Peter's identity, that is. And he eloquently spoke the first message of the church. He stood and proclaimed that the power of God's spirit would be available to all nations. That's when Peter said he preached. Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. Peter started preaching, I think, around verse 14. And he preached from verse 14 all the way up to verse uh, he just kept on going. But he was the one that preached the first message of salvation. So he preached and told people they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. He preached and told people that the way to be saved is to repent of their sins and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and their sins will be washed away. He preached that. And you know what? Who was better to preach that message than Peter? Who was better? Because Peter knew he was he was walking with Christ. He was living with God, serving God. And all of a sudden he's denying God when things got a little... You know, tight form. But he, but he lived through it to see him going to God and God restoring him. So he knows how to preach to people to tell them, if you will go to God, if you will repent of your sins and you will get baptized in Jesus name, he will fill you with his spirit and restore you and save you. Peter know all about that because he, he lived that. It's important. God never gives up on people who refuse to give up on him. God never gives up on people who refuse to give up on him. So as long as you don't give up on God, God will never give up on you. 
It doesn't matter how beaten down you are. It doesn't matter how much you're struggling and how much pain you're in. Sometimes we're going through some stuff and we feel like, where is God? I can't feel him. But I'm here to tell you tonight that God will never give up on you. So even when you don't feel him, even when you don't think he's working it out, even when you just feel like, man, God, you are nowhere to be found. you got to know God will never give up on you. God will never not reach you where you are so you just got to know that that this is not about feelings sometimes you will feel him other times you won't feel him but whether you feel him or you don't that doesn't mean he's not working you have to take him at his word and he says i will never leave you nor forsake you he's already said that so the days when i don't feel god i pray i say god you said you said you will never leave me nor forsake me and so today i'm not feeling you i can't tell if you're close to me i can't tell if you're working in me i can't tell if you're delivering me if you're keeping me But I know you will never leave me nor forsake me. And so I know you're working it out. And I know you love me with everything because you died for me. I got to say those things because I don't feel him. I don't feel him, so I got to say it. It's important. Why do we think the Lord chose Peter to do what he did at Pentecost? And I think we can all say in Peter's failure and restoration, it made him a great candidate to preach about the salvation of the Lord. Biblical order of supreme importance. Conviction precedes power. Conviction precedes power. That is very important. What does that mean, preacher? It means when God convicts you and you are convicted of God, it means God's power is getting ready to work on your behalf. God do not convict you and leave you where you are. So when you feel conviction from the almighty God, it means his power is getting ready to work in your life. If you don't feel no conviction, then you need to wonder what's going on. If you're living wrong and you're not doing right and you feel no conviction, that's when you need to worry. But when you feel God's conviction, when you come to church and I say something that you're like, oh man, that's me. And you feel like, man, did he, who talked to him? Well, what is he saying? No, no, no. That's the love of God. We have this thing all twisted up. You hear the preacher saying something that's coming directly between your, your eyes and you think, oh, something is wrong. No, 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 no. That's God convicting you. And that means God is getting ready to do something powerful in your life because he's convicting you. He's trying to bring you from where you are to where he needs you to be. So his power will move you. And so he's convicting you. You just have to know that. Man, we come to church and if you, if, listen, we, 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 if you go to church and you never get convicted, God is not in that church. I'm just telling you, God loves you too much to not convict you. If you go to church and everything the pastor is saying is all good, all gravy as they like to say. Oh, that's good. I like that. Oh, that's so wonderful. Oh, that was just so He was so eloquent. He was just so good. You better run. 
<laughs> you better run. Because the Bible talks about there's going to come a day where we want, you know, preachers that give us itching ears. You know, we want to hear, you know, that eloquence or that stuff that sound good. You better listen to a preacher that tells you uh, if you sin, you better repent. <laughs> you need to hear a preacher that's going to tell you about your business. And he didn't know nothing about your business, uh, but just hear it and say, God, you love me so much. You need to start dancing. When the preacher starts preaching about you, you need to start dancing because it means God has convicted you. God has seen you and just came right in your face and pointed his finger in your face and says, get it right. And he's saying get it right, not without his help because you only can get it right with him. So he says get it right and his power is going to help you to get it right. So he's not coming to convict you and leave you there. He's coming to convict you and say, now come on, let me help you out of this situation. Let me tell you this. I didn't tell you this. You ever heard the word remission? Remission. Remission. Remission of sins. And I'll probably get to it later on down in this. Remission of sin. You know what remission means? We repent of our sins. It means that we go to God and confess our sins. Remission means God removed that sin that we just confessed to him. That's, that's heavier than you think. Remission means freedom. When you look it up in the Greek, it means freedom. So what it means is when you confess your sin, if God don't remove it, if he don't free you from it, you will keep on going back to it and going back. Oh, somebody help me here tonight. So when he says, I'm going to, you're going to receive remission, it means you repent of your sins and he's going to remove it from you so it don't entangle you unless you go back to it. If we repent, but God don't remove it, we're going to still get entangled by it. Which usually means we don't really repent. We, we just said some words. Repentance is the first part of God's plan of salvation for us. Repentance is the first part of God's plan of salvation for us. When the multitude heard the message of Peter, the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts and responded with an open heart asking, Men and brethren, what shall we do? That's Acts chapter 2 verse 37. In Acts chapter 2 verse 37 and and Acts chapter 9, when the Apostle Paul, before he became Paul, he was Saul, when he got saved, there are two verses of Scripture that sticks out to me all the time. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and when uh, Paul was being arrested by Jesus, not arrested you because I don't want to lose you, when God was reaching for him to save him, the question they ask in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and Paul asked, paraphrasing, what do you want me to do, Lord? That's such a powerful thing that you have to go before the Lord with. You have to be so free in your relationship with God that you have to say to him, God, what do you want me to do? Whatever you want, just tell me. I'm going to do it. We can't hold back ourselves from God because God didn't hold back himself from us. So, God, what will you have me to do? I say that. Oh, I pray. Well, that's just normal conversation I have with God. What will you have me to do, Lord? Because whatever you want me to do, just tell it to me. It's a done deal. 
That's just how I feel because I read it here and I read every time you can say that to God, you will be, you will be, he will guide you into your destiny. Anytime you say, God, what will you have me to do? He will guide you into your destiny in him. I want to fulfill my destiny in Christ. And so that's why I keep asking, Lord, what will you have me to do? When I don't know what to do, when I don't know where to go, what to, where to turn, I say, God, what will you have me to do? When they ask this open this this question, this opened the door for Peter to describe a vital part of God's plan of salvation, repentance. Peter emphatically answered with clarity this genuine question in Acts 2, 38 through 39. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off. Even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. Mm-hmm. All right. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus says repentance must be preached. When Jesus came on the scene, he, he preached. John the Baptist preached it and Jesus preached it. Repent. 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 His message must be our message to a sinful world in need of transformation. Repentance, listen to me carefully. Some of you may have heard this before, but let's go through it again. Repentance is an about face from the original direction one is moving in. So repentance is not just words that you say, oh Lord, forgive me. No, repentance is about your direction. So when you're doing wrong, you're going in the wrong direction. When you repent, it means you're changing your direction and are no longer going in that wrong direction. So me saying, Father, forgive me, but continue to go in the same direction, I never repented. Repentance is a heart thing. It's not what you say out of your mouth. It's the direction that you're going in. It's, 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 it's your behavior that's being changed when you repent. So, you know, we like to say, uh, we repented. Your action will tell if you repented. Uh, if you, if, 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 if I'm a person that talk about people all the time and always saying bad things about people and I say I repent, somebody will realize, you know, he never talk about people anymore. And then repentance is you will adapt different behaviors in your life so you will prevent yourself from going down the road you used to go. Remember we say, it's, it doesn't make good sense if I said I'm going to stop drinking, but I'm still going to the bar. <laughs> right? It, it makes no sense. If I really repent and say, God, I'm not going to drink anymore, I'm not going to the bar anymore. That's what repentance is. 
Right? So if, if, if I used to, if, 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 if I used to be a fighter and I used to like to fight and, you know, do people wrong and I said, God, forgive me for doing that, I've got to now stay away from that. If it's people that I used to hang with that caused me to do that, I got to st- stop hanging with them. This is why, here is a big one. This is why when you start going to church, the people you used to hang with get mad at you. Because you're no longer hanging with them. But they don't realize, I love you. But the problem is, when I hang with you, I'm going to do the things I used to do. And I'm trying not to do those things because I repented and I don't want to do those things anymore. And so I have to hang with people that don't do the things I used to do with you. And a lot of times people don't understand that. They get offended by that because they're like, yeah, she started going to church and now she don't hang with us. I know that. And I, I can't, I want to, but I can't because I asked for forgiveness. I repented. I confessed my sins to God for the things I used to do when I hung with you. And because you're still doing the same thing, I can't hang with you. No, I don't have a problem with you. You're doing the stuff that I don't want to do anymore. <laughs> Remember I told you, for those of you that don't know, I used to work at the Rusty Scuppers back in the day. It's not the Rusty Scuppers anymore. But we hung out. I was the life of the party among all the waiters and waitresses. I was the life of the, life of the party. And so when it was after work, they asked me, Wayne, where are we going tonight to drink? Wayne, where are we going out tonight to hang? And so me and Cousin Bill, we would always organize all of our events. And so I remember when I gave my life to Christ and I got saved. Wayne, I know you're going to church now, but I said, but what? Can you just come to Fridays with us and sit at the bar but just drink cranberry juice? I said, no, I'm not doing that. And they would always try to get me to come still because they still wanted my company. They still wanted us to hang out and say no. And so finally they realized I was serious because I'm trying not to go down the old way. I repented. So I'm trying not to go back down that way. So finally they realized I was serious and they said, you know what we're going to do tonight, Wayne? We're going to go to the coffee shop that sells dessert down on Nassau Street, and we're doing that for you. So we're going to go to the coffee shop, and we're going to eat coffee. We're going to drink coffee and eat dessert, and we'll hang out all night. I said, let's do it. The point is, when you repent, you have to now put behaviors in your life to stay on the right track. And that's how you know somebody really repented. What what mechanisms did you now put in your life so you no longer go that way? But if you really repent and you're still allowing certain things to flow in your life, then you're going to find yourself going back. And so you got to ask yourself, did I really repent or did I just say something because I know I felt bad of what I've done wrong? Unger's Bible Dictionary described true repentance as fundamental and thorough change in the heart of men from sin and towards God. When you repent, you need to look at what you used to do and start doing something else for God. The first aspect that we that must be found in repentance is godly sorrow. Somebody say godly sorrow. There is godly sorrow that works in a life that will lead to salvation. This is a spiritual transaction. Sorrow tethered to this world system only leads to death. So what does that mean? We really repent only when we realize we've offended God. 
That's probably the big problem right there, why we never really repent. Because if we don't understand that our action offend God, then we won't feel like we need to repent of anything. That's where we get jammed up. And the only way you're going to know that your action offends God is, one, if you have the Holy Spirit, you will know. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts you because that's God in you. The Holy Spirit will convict you. You can ignore it all you want and then try to pretty it up and make it seem like, well, God knows my heart. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's code word. Every time I hear somebody say, God knows my heart, it's code word for cop out. Code word to me. Don't say that. Because God do know your heart, but he's still trying to work with you to try to get you right. So I'm not, we all know God knows our heart. Matter of fact, he's the only one that knows your heart because you don't even really know your heart according to the scriptures. So we know that. But don't say God knows my heart and keep doing wrong. That's a cop out. Don't say God knows my heart and keep doing that. Because what you're saying is, God, you're excusing me to do what what I'm doing. I'm getting special permission to keep on doing wrong, God, because you know my heart. That's what you're really saying. And God is so righteous that he can't play favoritism in letting us keep living wrong and foul and be like, what? and look the other way. He can't do it. So knowing your heart has nothing to do with God's actions. God's actions is if you're doing wrong, he's going to convict you and tell you to repent. Uh-huh. Conviction comes down from the throne of God. Condemnation rises from the depths of hell. Conviction leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. Condemnation leads to isolation, which leads to a life that is distant from God. Mm -hmm. The second aspect that must be found in repentance is an inward repugnance. Sin, when you commit sin that you know offend God, you need to be repulsed by it. You're quiet on me. When you do wrong that you know God is not pleased with, you need to not be pleased. You need to feel terrible when you know. I don't know about you. Any one of us, you know, whether it's guardian, parents, there's somebody in your life probably when you were younger that when you did wrong, you just hated facing them because you know you messed up. And you were just, you were just almost in trauma to face that individual because you know you let them down. That's the same kind of thing we need to have. When we sin against God, like, man, I messed up. It's supposed to repulse you that you messed up and and offended God by sinning. Don't worry about people. Worry about God first. Because when you get it right with God, you'll be able to deal with people. (laughs) Sometimes we try to go deal with people before we deal with God. That never works. When we deal with people before we deal with God, this is how we do Hey, brother, man, you know, if I offended you, my bad. That's what you do when you never go to God first. When you go to God and you pray and you get right with God, then you go back over. My brother, I know I offended you. My behavior was not right. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to offend you. Please forgive me. I really didn't want to offend you the way that I did. I sinned against God and I did you wrong. Please forgive me. Because you went to God and God straightened you right out, clean you right up. And you go now with a humble spirit before the person that you're going to talk to. But we're trying to talk to the people before we talk to God. That never goes right. Never go right. Never go right. Never go right. 
Talk to God first. Get it right with God first. Then you go to people that you may have offended or something. So sin needs to repulse you, followed by actions taken to, to, to get forsaken of it. The conviction of God reveals just how ugly sin can be in our life. It is, it is the mission of Satan to steal, kill, and destroy. And his currency is sin. I love that. Not that what I just said, but just how it's laid out. Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he uses the currency of sin to do that. So what he does is he entices you little by little into stuff. Before you know it, you're sinning, which you would call a little sin in God's eye. There's no little sin, big sin. But you might think little sin, little sin, little sin. And before you know it, now you're doing a little bit bigger sin, a little bit bigger sin. And now Satan have you entangled in his web. He used the currency of sin, and now he's going to set you up to do now a big sin that you're going to feel like you'll never be able to recover from. That's how he set you up. Little sin, little sin. Oh, my goodness. I can just see how he does. He just weaves his web. He's got, he gets us just little stuff at a time, little stuff at a time. And we, we, we don't even realize it's little stuff at a time. Listen. I'm just saying this and get out of the way real quick. Do your best to what they say, OD on trying to do right. Go extra. Don't just barely make it. I don't trust myself. I don't know about you. But I don't trust myself to think that I can handle just doing just enough. There you go. I don't think I can trust myself with that. So you know what I do? If the line is right here, I'm way over here, man. And I think one of the challenges that we face today is the line is over here. The line of wrong. If we cross over, it's wrong. But if we stay over here, it's right. We stay too close right here. I'm just telling you how it works. What will make you successful in living for God? Stay far away from the line that you could cross and mess up. Stay far away from that line. Don't walk so close to the line. When you walk close to the line, it gets you sooner or later. And then you start compromising, compromising, compromising. Then you find yourself doing wrong. You wonder, how did I ever get here? And then now you have a choice. Either you're going to um, just confess and says, I messed up. Or you're going to make excuses for where you are. I don't trust me. You might trust yourself better than I trust myself. But I don't trust me, so I just stay far away from stuff. I, 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 just, I, I just think that's the safest way to handle it. Let me just stay far away from it so that way I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. Let me just develop a life that stays far away from things. So it's important. Jesus clearly states early in his ministry the importance of repentance. In Matthew 4.17, we see the first words he used in salvation's plan. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus shows up, we cannot just keep on walking in a life of sin. The third aspect that we must find, that we will find in repentance, is the willingness 
to accept by faith the endless mercy of God that can overcome the erone, the enormity of our sin. So here's the third thing that I want you to know. Understand, once you repent and you're walking in a different way, don't let the devil keep telling you, you still messed up. God's grace took care of that. It's, it's only God's grace. You just tell the devil, I know I'm not that good, but God's grace is why I can walk and keep on walking knowing that I'm good. It wasn't because I was good. God didn't forgive me of my sin because I was good. No, he loved me and I repented and now his grace is sufficient to keep me. So the devil will make you think that you repent that, oh, you still did it. And try to keep you like this, you still did it. And when he tell you you still did it, yeah, but God's grace. I know I did it, but God's grace. I repented, God forgave me, and now I'm walking in his grace. That's what grace is all about. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because, you, you know, you, you, you became somebody good. No, God's grace. God says, I am going to just take care of you no matter what. Not because you earned it, but because I am taking care of you. So you need to tell the devil that. And so... Our world, I'm finishing up with this, our world is filled with a mindset of relativism. Relativism. Relativism rejects absolute truth. This is probably one of my frustrations that I'm dealing with in the world. I listen to talk radio a lot. And it's just sad that we have rejected truth and now all we want to do is relate to the subject or relate to people and make people don't, we are trying to make sure people don't feel bad. And if you say something that makes someone feels bad, now all of a sudden you get attacked. Because we're trying to make everything relatable, relatism. And at the end of the day, God's word is absolute truth. And so if it's not God's word, I don't care how much we can relate to something. It's wrong, it's wrong. God's word is right. And so we're dealing with that whole relativism thing on talk radio, in our life. we got to be politically correct. And nobody is dealing with absolute truth that God is saying absolute truth is what rules. In a culture of anything goes and truth is, is what you want it to be. The need for repentance that leads to the gift of, of, of God is diminished. So people are not repenting because they are so consumed by relativism that they're just, as long as we can relate with it, we're good. And so if people feel like what they're doing, people can, let me give you an example before I get out of here with this. Let me give you an example. Uh, so now we have the internet, social media. I can listen or I can watch preaching on my iPad, on my TV, whatever it is that I can look at it. And so now everybody's saying, yeah, I mean, you can get the word on the TV, you can get the word on social media. What's the sense now of going into the building? So everybody made that common sense. Yeah. And God is everywhere. So that's starting to be a whole doctrine in itself. So now everybody's staying home because they can relate to that kind of conversation. That's what I mean. There's no absolute truth. And Jesus said in his word, 
fail not to assemble yourself with the body as the day of the Lord approaches that much more. But we're relating now because social media is up now. We're saying, okay, we don't have to get together anymore. And we all can relate to that. No absolute truth. We're just going to relate to stuff. And that way we don't have to do anything because we don't realize all we're doing is making things convenient for ourselves. That's all it comes down to. Relatism appears tame, but it is a mask religion of tyranny. So relatism, it might seem like, oh, you know, it's the right thing. You know, that's how we settle things. But it's a mask tyranny to religion. Because sooner or later, everybody's going to only worry about how they relate. And they're not going to receive absolute truth from the word of God. When we speak absolute truth, yeah, but. And they're going to explain how to relate. If there is no absolute truth or divine path to follow, then there is no need for repentance. Jesus' message is repentance. It is not confining. It is the entryway to the greatest reward ever given, the gift of the Holy Ghost. We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ nor intimidated by the message of Jesus Christ. We can't allow relatism to get into the way and prevents us from being able to receiving the word of God. Repentance will always be relevant and necessary. When the Bible says that you, you're wrong or you have sin, you need to just take it for what it is and repent. That's all it is. And so finally, in closing, Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says this. Repent ye therefore presence of the Lord. Can I tell you this about repentance? Repentance of your sin. When you repent of your sin, the Lord says your sin gets blotted out. But it also says that there is a refreshing that comes when you repent. There's a refreshing that comes because the presence of the Lord shows up when you repent. And wherever the Lord shows up, there's a refreshing. And so as bad as it feels sometimes when you do wrong and you're like, man, I feel terrible. When you repent, there is a refreshing that will take place and God will come in and make you experience a refreshing. A load will be lifted off you. When you repented and got baptized in Jesus' name, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I felt a load came off me. And from that day forth, when I went about and do my thing, I knew I was not the same person. And I didn't feel that load that I carried around for all those years. I felt a refreshing. And so today, I'm telling you, every time you repent, there is a refreshing and the presence of the Lord come upon you. And now you are in a place where God's power will operate in your life. The Bible says, in case you don't know the scripture, angels rejoice over one soul that repents. So when when you repent, you affect heaven. Man. 
That is so powerful. So we got to get in in tune with that. That You know what? I'm not going to let anybody stop me from repenting. I'm not going to let anybody make me feel terrible. If I did wrong, it's against God. And that's the one that I have to go to and repent. But when I do it, there's a refreshing that will come. His presence will come upon me. Angels will rejoice in heaven. And my life will be empowered by the power of God. Somebody say repentance. His message of repentance must be our message also. Repentance must happen for us, for us to have a right relationship with Christ. If we're going to have a right relationship with Christ, we have to repent. We should embrace that. I don't know, maybe over the years somebody might have made repentance seem like a bad thing, bad word. Look at it like this tonight. Repentance is a gift. And it's just a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. And for every opportunity I get, I am going to repent because I want to feel the refreshing. And I want to feel God's presence. And I want God's power to operate in my life. So I am going to repent and I'm not going to worry about a thing. Any questions? Anybody have any questions tonight? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? One question in back? Yes, ma'am. I just want to share real quick when everybody prays for you, shows my dad. Mm-hmm. They did this, um, actually a part of them, a part of the city saw like a mass in the park. Mm-hmm. And they went inside and checked. They didn't want to double check, but there was nothing there. Amen. Was, I don't know. There was something there. With the Hallelujah. Amen. 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 I keep saying, if every doctor hear the gospel message the right way, they should all be saved.